kingdom builders. And we kicked off on week one uh, with me looking at how a kingdom builder has a heart and a vision for the lost. That kingdom builders care for those that don't yet know Jesus. They want to see people added to heaven. They have a heart to see uh, lives change, their family, their friends, their work colleagues, the people we come in contact, our neighbors' lives change. And then week two, Dave Gawler spoke upon the last in house, that actually kingdom builders, we, uh, we leave a legacy uh, for generations to come. And it isn't about, oh, I've hit 70, I've got to start thinking about my legacy. I'm 28, I start to think about my legacy already. And he rem- uh, Dave reminds us of the uh, Christian sociologist, Tony Compello, and he, he did a study of uh, the age group of people over 90, gathered a load of people over 90, and he said this. He said, what do you wish you did differently? And they said three things. Number one is I spent more time in reflection, no particular order. Spent more time in reflection. Number two is, uh, what was number two, everyone? Took more risks. Number three? Leave, left, leave a legacy. So those three things that took more risks leave a legacy, and spend more time in reflection. And I think sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that because we can go through everyday life and then get to uh, our deathbed and think, I wish I did something differently, but it's best to prepare well for it. Uh, Week number three, I spoke on supernatural living. This whole thing is actually kingdom builders recognize we don't just live on an earthly realm. There's a spiritual God and it affects, uh, the spiritual realm can affect our earthly realm. And the whole thing is that actually, are we viewing life through spiritual eyes? You know, are we willing to go and pray for people to get healed? Are we willing to go and speak to someone uh, to bring the kingdom to this earth? And then last week, Paul uh, spoke on serve the king, that we are teamed together. He, he showed us that, that Lego man, I can't remember the Lego man's name now. But he showed us that, um, Emic, Emic, whatever. I've never seen the Lego movie. I know everything's awesome, though. Um, and he spoke about we are teamed together, but we've got to humble ourselves and, and do what God has called us to do. And this morning, I'm going to be ending the series on this. Everyone counts. And I want to just put it out there that you count today. Thank you for being with us today. You know, God values you. That's the first stance. God says you count. I made you. I fearfully and wonderfully made you. I value, I put gifts inside of you. I delight in you. I sing over you. This is what the Bible says, the way God sees us, the lens that he sees us in. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 4. Or if you've got it on a smartphone. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow us on a Bible, there's some Bibles at the back. And if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take one home with you. Because that is a gift from the church. Because we want to see everyone have a Bible at home. So John chapter 4, and we're going to kick off at verse 1. 
feeling up for today? I am. I woke up this morning feeling a bit Christmassy, actually. I did. I felt very Christmassy for some random reason. Pardon? Did anyone say they did that as well? No, I thought I'd just say Tom and Dad did. I just talk, we were talking the other day, me and Becky, because and, I don't know if it's just cold and stuff like that. You feel a bit Christmassy. And then I, I, was, I was tempted to put some Christmas music on when people came in. But Ricky reminded me it's not Christmas. Um, and then, so we were talking the other day about our decorations. Because uh, what we try to do, every year we build our decorations up. So every year we buy something new um, for the house. And we were talking about that. And then I said, let's go for November this year to put in our Christmas decorations up. Let's extend Christmas. Oh, it's getting exciting. John chapter 4, verse 1. Here we go then. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only the disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He passed through Samaria, Samaria, uh, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sikshaita. Now the field that Jacob had given to his son Jacob, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, uh, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Many of us know this uh, popular story. It was about the sixth hour, so it was probably about midday. Because they always started, when the sun went up, they always roughly did their times upon six o'clock. So it was about midday. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Sounds a bit harsh. Verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She has a question. For, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you, where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father's Jacob? He gave us the well. He drank from it himself. As did the sons of his livestock, he said to them, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go. Call your husband and come here. Verse 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What have you, you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where the people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we, we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such a people to worship him. Verse 24. 
God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. She doesn't got it as Jesus, by the way. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, uh, to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said to him, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jug and went away into the town and said to people, come, see, a man who told me that I... That told me all that I ever did. Can this be Christ? They went out of the town and were were coming to him. Let's jump to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed with them for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So this is how this narrative unfolds. I recognize that I read quite a bit of that scripture. But this is how this narrative that probably many of us uh, would already know about, but this is how it unfolds. There is a Samaritan woman at the well, and just before Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman, in John chapter 3, we learn that Jesus, he interacts uh, with a, a man called Nicodemus that I spoke upon a couple of weeks ago. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's, he's a law-abiding man. He's a teacher. He's a leader of the Jewish community. And he's spoken to this Pharisee, a law-abiding man, and now he's having a conversation with a lone Samaritan woman who has come to get water from a well known as Jacob's Well. It's located about half a mile from the city. See, this was an extraordinary woman. She was a Samaritan, a race of people that the Jews utterly despised as having no claim on their God. She was an outcast. She looked She was being looked down upon by her own people. See, this is evidence that her coming to this well alone was that she was an outcast. Because often a well will be a gathering place for people to have conversation. People to be it will be a a high point in the day for lots of people. It's a bit like uh, you and I go into a restaurant or um, to have a meal together, or go into the pub at night. It's a bit like that. It would be a time where we say, actually, this is my time when I socialize with people. This is my time I talk with people. But for this lady to come at this time of day, to come up on her, her own, shows that she is a complete outcast. She was marked as immoral. She was an unmarried woman living openly with a sick husband. See, at this point, something changes in this woman's life. And this is it, right? Jesus makes our heads turn. And this is what happens to this lady. Her head was turned towards Jesus. I remember when I was about 16 years old, 
I just started sixth form. Uh, it was about September time, the first month into sixth form. And uh, I used to love playing football. And the best thing about the sixth form, you get more time to play football because you do less lessons and you can play football more. Um, that was one of my thoughts in that time. So I would play football with my, my friends and my mates. But at this particular time, it was a lunchtime, and we were playing football together. We had a big match. It had been a hot summer. The ground was hard. And I was, I, was, I was past the ball. I went to do this, right? This is it. I went like that. And my other leg gave way, and I landed, funnily, on my hip. And I was in absolute agony. When I talk agony, it's probably the worst pain I've ever experienced. Uh, uh, it's probably up there with close to giving birth, by the way. It was absolute agony. I'm being serious, you know. It was absolute agony. The problem is no one could ever go against that because none of us know either way. So it's all safe, so. Um, I believe that giving birth is painful, by the way. Um, but it was, believe me, it was absolute agony. And so, so all my friends started to gather around. And I was like, you're right. So I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. I couldn't get up. And so they went and got a teacher. The teacher came along and, and said, oh, he looks like a lot of pain. They went and got a wheelchair, and I, I just, they couldn't get me out. I was in so much pain, they couldn't get me on the wheelchair. So, uh, you know, I was only 16 years old. I literally remember this. It sounds a bit like, uh, you know, I'm a bit weird. But I remember saying to everyone, could you just go and get my mum? Could you just go and get my mum? I'm a 16-year-old boy. I said, just go and get my mum. It'll be okay. But in fact... Uh, because they couldn't get me in the wheelchair, they, they, another teacher came back and said, they've called the ambulance because we need, to, we need to take you to hospital. So I'm there on the floor. The next thing I know is that the ambulance drives onto the sports field. Okay, I was at a sixth form, uh, part of a bigger school. There was at least a 1,000 people at that school, and I would say a good proportion of them came running around because they wanted to see what had happened. C at that moment... Um, about probably, probably about 600 kids, maybe even more, obviously I didn't count them, um, came and looking to see what is going on, what is going on, what, 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 what has Tim did, not everyone knew my name, I wasn't top that popular, uh, but what, 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 had, what had happened, and, and they said, I remember the ambulance came out, and they're like, well, really, let's just get you in the ambulance, because there's too many people around, so they, they gave me some gas and air, they tried to push me on the, you know, the beddy thing, and they got me in the ambulance. But in that moment of time, you know, everyone's head was turned. Something attracted them to something that had happened to me. Sadly, it wasn't something good, it was something bad, and I was in a lot of pain. Fortunately, I didn't break my hip, I did something else to it. But it was so painful. And I expect we've all had moments when people's heads have turned towards us. Some of them are positive, some are negative. Or maybe you've been... You've seen a moment in your life where your head has turned. You've, you've maybe uh, been going down an escalator and then someone else falls down the escalator and then your head turns. Sounds a bit harsh. But, you know, you've seen something that your head has turned. And in this uh, narrative, something caused the people's heads to turn. And that something was Jesus. That something was Jesus. For this Samaritan lady, her head was turned. I remember a time, uh, it was quite a while ago now, maybe a year ago, maybe long ago, me and Jamie went out for a coffee or a cup of tea down at Mark Bennett's Patisserie in Penn Hill. And as we, we were uh, sitting down there drinking, in walks Paul Gascoigne. Everyone's heads are turned. 
people are like, oh, is that, is that Paul Gascoigne? I remember me and Jamie chatting about, is that Paul Gascoigne? You know, and if a celebrity walks in, everyone's heads are turned. Have you done that? Have you seen a celebrity? Guys, I'm here, by the way, the celebrity. <laughs> All right, I'm joking. I'm joking. But, but something happens. See, Jesus has the ability to turn people's heads for much bigger reasons and significant reasons than anyone like myself or Paul Gascoigne or any of our experiences of people's heads to be turned. Because this is it, right? For Jesus, it doesn't matter where your life has taken you. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your postcode is. It doesn't even matter if you believe in him or not. We all count. We all count. Every single person is loved by God. I believe that. Every single person. There is 160,000 people in Paul. There is 66 million in uh, England. They all are loved by God. The Bible says that whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still far away from God, he loved us. Therefore, everyone counts in God's eyes. And therefore, everyone we come in contact, we should say, you count. You count. You count. Because they count to God. See, the story of this woman coming to the well teaches us God loves us in spite of our bankrupt lives. This woman, she was with her sick husband. And it wasn't even her husband, her sick partner. But God valued her. God has spent an afternoon with a man who's a Pharisee, he's a law-abiding man, he's teaching, uh, he's a teacher of Israel called Nicodemus. And possibly, probably the next day, he's with a woman who's, who's basically an outcast from her own community. No one wants anything to do with her. These are in many ways two extremes from day to day. And he is saying, I love these two people. I love the one that is trying to religiously follow the law and is a teacher of the law. And he, inca- he interacts with that person. He loves this lady who, has, you know, who could say she's an outcast. She's following uh, worldly ways as such. But he says, you both count. See, God values us enough to actively seek us, to welcome us into intimacy. And as a result of Jesus' conversation with this Samaritan woman, all the people come back and want to know Jesus. Verse 39 goes on to say that they came to know Jesus. See, I want to speak about the 12 disciples. Let's just go through the 12 disciples. Andrew. Andrew was the brother of Peter. He was a fisherman. Uh, Nathaniel. He lived in Canaan and Galilee. Uh, he became one of the most churches, most adventurous missionaries. He, he expected that he was a fisherman as well. James the Elder, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John the Apostle, a fisherman as well from Jerusalem. Jude, the brother of James the Younger. He was a little-known apostle, lived in Galilee, but expected to be a fisherman as well. Simon Peter, son of Jonas, a fisherman as well. He had evangelistic and missionary work among the Jews. Going through them quite quickly, as you can tell. John, the son of Zebedee. He's the brother of James the Apostle. Apostle. He was in the inner circle of Jesus, the beloved disciple, as many of us know him from. He was a fisherman as well in Jerusalem. Philip, he was likely to be a fisherman as well. Matthew, tax collector. 
He died as a martyr in Ethiopia. Simon, he was a, he was a zealot. He was in politics. We're not sure what he did. Judas, the traitor, as we many of us know. We're not really sure what he did before he met Jesus. James the lesser. Uh, again, we're not really sure. Possibly more likely to be a fisherman. And Thomas, he was from Galilee. And again, not really sure what he did. My point in this, majority of the disciples were fishermen. The others was either a tax collector or were not really sure what they did. But it was insignificant for the for the writer to tell us uh, it was uh, that information. A fisherman was quite a common job in those days. It was an okay paid job. You could live off it, but you didn't have your iWatches and iPads. You could pay your rent. You could put food on the table if you caught enough fish. So it was an okay, an average job. It was basically a basic way job. But Jesus chose these 12 disciples, not because of their qualifications, probably not because of their looks, probably not because of what job they did or how much finances they could give. It was probably not because, oh, that person's famous or that person can get me in touch with that person, but because he chose these 12 disciples and he said, these 12 disciples, I will entrust the greatest message of of the world with. And this is the thing, right? Jesus did not have Facebook or Twitter. See, if we were going to get a message out today, we would send you an email, send you a Facebook, I would text you, I would email you, I'd call you. And I could get a message out pretty quickly, you know, to, to everyone in this room. However, Jesus did not have that. So therefore, he entrusted 12 guys with the greatest message ever. And 2,000 years later, churches all around the world, lives are being transformed, and it's going forwards and forwards. That was from Jesus to 12 guys. But he said, these guys count, and I trust them. For Jesus, everyone counts. He doesn't look at the, what kind of body you've got. He doesn't look at whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. He doesn't look at what training you have done or how much money you've got in your bank. Some of those things do shape what we're called to do. Don't get me wrong. But they don't count. But what counts is our hearts and our heart for Jesus. For him, everyone counts. I want to take us back to the story of uh, Acts 15, Acts 16. We get the story uh, of basically uh, three people, a jailer, a rich businesswoman and, uh, called Lydia, and a person that they think had was de um, demon-possessed, had an evil spirit in them. And these three people, three different kinds of people, encountered Jesus. And when they encountered Jesus, they became the church planting team in Philippi. 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 And this is, I find, really amazing. Because what, why would a rich businesswoman, a jailer, and someone who had an evil spirit in them connect? And it was because they loved Jesus. It's because they all knew Jesus and encountered Jesus. And then, for some random reason, God said, 
they are going to be the best church plant team. And that was the church plant team. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew or Greek, there is neither slave or free, there is no male or female, for you are one in Christ. Every single one is uh, counts. Every single one matters. We are one in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I love licorice sweets. Who likes licorice sweets here? No? Licorice all sorts, yeah. Their slogan is, does anyone know their slogan? No. All sorts love all sorts. All sorts love all sorts. And, you know, obviously not a lot of people like them here, but I love them. But I don't like all of them. And often if people like them, they don't like all of them. There's certain ones they do like in the all sorts. You often get the ones to the end that leave. You know when you have like quality streaks at Christmas time, there's always the same ones left. Or celebrations, you always get left with the Snickers and the Bounty. You know, it's always the same things, the ones that are left. But this is the thing. God values, God values every single one. I'm not talking about the sweets, but I'm talking about people. God values every single one. He doesn't leave the Snickers and the Bounty to the last. He doesn't leave me and you to the last. But he values every single one. Therefore, he must value diversity. See, if he values me and values you, and we are so different, he values diversity. He actually loves diversity. Let's not beat around the bush. God God values us. And there is scripture after scripture What says God values you. God loves you. God's put gifts in you. God's made you. You know, God, he made you in his image. He's got a purpose and a plan for you. He's excited about your life. I don't know if you know this, but do you know who your biggest cheerleader is in your life? It's God. It's God. It's not your your husband, your wife. It's not your family. It's not your friends. It's not your neighbor. It's not your son or your daughter or your mom or your father. The biggest cheerleader in your life is God. He's cheering you on. He's there helping you along the way. He's wanting you to go better. He's wanting you to go further. He's wanting the best for you. He doesn't want you to feel rubbish. He doesn't want you to be like, oh, no, not another day. He's like, yes, another day. Let's do it together. Let's go. He is your biggest cheerleader. Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you live in Sandbanks or you're Turling, uh, Tur- or Turling Moor. He loves you. But the funniest thing was, when I said whether you're rich or whether you're poor, or whether you live in Sandbanks or Turling Moor, you associated this with it. Sandbanks, rich, good, better life. Turling Moor, not being mean. Poor, maybe have a worse life, wish they had things better. You did that in your mind without me telling you, didn't you? And this is the problem. Our minds, subconsciously, we're not saying everyone counts because we've just put people in categories. We've done it subconsciously. We've seen the people in Sandbanks as rich, got a good life. I wish I had a, a better house, wish I had that. And then we might see people in Turlemore and say, oh no, they, they have rich life. They, they wish they had things better. They wish they had this and this. We make assumptions which will determine if we truly believe everyone counts. 
We have put people into levels, into grades, into class, which is unhelpful. How do we know if everyone counts? How do you know if you truly believe everyone counts? This is one of the ways. Do you pray for everyone? Do you pray and interact with people that are different to you? When's the last time you prayed for someone that wasn't your family or a close friend? When's the last time you've done that? Because that's when you truly know if everyone counts. Because there would determine your heart. Often our prayers are around our family and our close friends. And there's not, obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But if everyone counts to us, if we value everyone the same, like God does, we will be praying for people that are different to us. We'll be praying for the people we, 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 we take as the outcast. We'll be praying for the people that are religious like Nicodemus. Because actually, it will be on our hearts. As Christians, we should say, every person counts. As Christians in the church, we're not meant to... Sorry. As Christians in the church, we are meant to set culture. See, when Jesus interacts with this lady and with Nicodemus, what he does is is countercultural. And we are called to interact with some people that will be countercultural. The media would tell us you've got to look better, dress better, drive a better car, have a better house, have a more civilized family unit, and then have a mo- perfect model for a 21st century English man or lady. How do I get to that point of the perfect model of a man and a lady? And then you have life sorted. It's just one step at a time going forward and all these things will come together and we will get the people we want to be around and life is fantastic. That is what the media will tell us. That is what we should do. And that is what culture is. You hang around with like-minded people. You, you talk to like-minded people. You stay close to like-minded people. But that is not God's plan for community and for church and for life. See, we should be a bunch of all sorts. And what marks us in common? Wait for it. Jesus and our love for Jesus. And this is the gospel. The gospel is county culture. The gospel says, I will go to the people like Nicodemus, who's a, who's a law-abiding man who's teaching the law. I will go to this lady at the woman at the well, who's had, you know, he's had five husbands, is, is living with another guy, and is an outcast. And actually, I would love them both equally, because this is what it means to love Jesus and to be uh, to the gospel. Did you know that we are meant to be different? Different people. We are meant to be foreigners like in a foreign land. We are meant to stand out. Do you stand out? Do you stand out? We are meant to define culture, not be defined by culture. And that's the key. We are meant to define culture, not be defined culture. See, if everyone counts, we will go to that quiet person in the corner in the staff room. If everyone counts, we will go to that loud and annoying person. If everyone counts, we'll go to those that are like-minded 
and we will go to those that are a world away from us. You might say to me, you might say, they're so, so different from me. What I would say, well, you love Jesus, don't you? So everyone counts. Philippians 2, verse 1 to 3. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not at his own interests, but at the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is big. Count others more significant than yourself. Count others more significant than yourself. See, I think this is one of the hardest things we are called to do as Christians. This is true humility. You count others more significant than yourself. See, if we count others more significant than ourselves, there would be less problems in the world. If we count others more significant than ourselves, there would be less problems in your workplace. If we count, more, uh, count others more significant than yourself, there would be less problems in your family. If we count others more significant than yourself, there would be less problems in the church. If we counted others more significant than ourselves, there would be less problems in your life. This is one of the most challenges I feel for the Christian to do. To see others more significant. But if we all did that, what a message it sends out. What a people we would be. What a church we would be if we counted others significant. If we said, how do I serve you more than myself? How can I help you? How can I love you better? Why? Because I love Jesus. That's what it's about. That is what the gospel message. Everyone counts. Everyone is loved by God. In humility, let's count others more significant as well. And where did it start? It starts here. It starts with me. It starts with you. And it starts now. We are meant to define culture and not be defined by culture. It's so easy, church, to just get on with life, get on with the people that I like to hang around with. And, and, and the thing is, we often feel, oh, that is a worldly thing. But when we come up to church and put an event on, I, I could pretty much tell you who will sit next to who. I could literally lay the tables out. I literally could. I literally could. Because everyone sits next to people who they feel most comfortable with, who they're like-minded with, who they, who, who they want to be part of, who they want to talk to. And to a certain degree, I get that, but that really isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not called to be separate entities and then just come together once. We're called to love people and serve people. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. God values you so he values diversity because he made everyone different and the problem is if you don't like people you've got a big problem for eternity because you're going to be spending eternity with them 
There will be diversity. If you read Revelation chapter 21, it, 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 it insinuates, it shows that there will be diversity in heaven. There will be diversity in heaven. God loves people differences. God absolutely loves it. And that's why we are called to make, uh, think of other people more significant than yourself. And then we will see the mission of God being even more. We will see the kingdom of God being built. So every person we come in contact with, whether it's in church, our workplace, our families, will say, I am going to make you more significant. I'm going to serve you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you believe. I will serve you. And the thing about it is it's remarkable in many ways because people can't cope with it. People can't cope with the message of the gospel, with the message of grace, because it's so counterculture. Why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? Why? 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 I told you the story a couple of weeks ago where, or probably about four weeks ago now, where I, I paid this guy shopping in Lidl. He's saying to me, why? That's just one of the questions. Why are you doing this? Why are you paying for my shopping? They just, it's just can't, they can't comprehend. Why would you do this for me? Because this is, I, you know, you're different to me. I don't know you, but I think that you're significant. And I say everyone counts. And it's hard work sometimes. I'm not going to lie to you, church. It is hard work. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come easy, you know, to be everything to everyone. That's what Paul says. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm, like, I'm with these people now and I'm going to be with them and I'm going to be fully with them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. And then I go to a different set of people and I'm going to love them and I'm going to serve them and I'm going to be like them. That's what Paul managed to do. He went from place to place, different kinds of culture, and he could be with them, be part of them, love them, serve them. And then he went to someone else and he was like, I can do it with them as well. Because he realized it was for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's for the sake of unity as well. Unity is so important to us. With so many differences, we've got to work at unity. So I want to conclude by saying this. Do you truly believe everyone counts? Do you pray for people that are outside your family and your close friends? Do you go to the table and say to someone, I don't know what I have in common with this person. Can I just say this? Jesus, he had nothing in common with this woman at the well. Actually, for a man to go and talk to a woman is like he's stepping over massive uh, culture ba boundaries. You know, they, they would, you know I, don't, I don't know how to explain of how much you know, like he would be looked upon, down upon saying, you shouldn't be talking to that woman. You know, she's someone, firstly, she's someone else's husband. But he went the edge of mile and he, he just talked to the person. I want to encourage us and challenge us. Let's be, a let's be a people, let's be a church that says everyone counts. Everyone deserves love. Everyone. And, you know, as a church, 
you know, we are here in Paul, and we're trying to serve all of Paul. We, we've got a hub in Turlimore and, and Hamworthy area, and sometimes it can be hard to say everyone counts, because we want to love the people in Sandbanks, and we want to love the people in Hamworthy and Upton and Turlimore. We want to love all these people. They're all so different, but I want to say every single one of these people counts. I'm going to love them as much as I can love them in a godly sense and, and uh, appreciate them and value them and see something in them as God sees them. I don't know them fully. I don't get it, but I want to do it. And I just challenge you, do it as well. Serve and love people. And, I, you know, it becomes easier after a while. Pray for people. You know, I've got to quickly finish, but... This is the thing, right? When someone's annoying me, I pray for them. And that's what God calls us to do. You, you become less annoyed with them. Let's be honest. Everyone gets annoyed with people. Me and Becky do this. When we get annoyed at people, we pray for them. We pray God's blessing on them. We pray that God would guide their lives in the future. Because when you start praying for people, you start to have a heart for people. Something changes in your heart. And we don't wanna, you don't want to have a hardened heart, but you want to have a soft heart. Sometimes you need a thick heart, but you need a soft heart to love people and to care for people. And praying makes a massive difference. And I believe it starts with prayer, saying, I will love that person. I'm going to pray for that person. And then next time you see them, you're like, oh, how are you doing? Because you care for them. Let's be a church that says everyone counts. doesn't matter about your race. doesn't matter about your background. doesn't matter about your postcode. It doesn't matter about even if you love Jesus or not. It doesn't matter about any of that. But every one counts. And this is the message of Jesus. Sorry for speaking so long. This is the message of Jesus. And this is the message of the cross, isn't it? That each one of us counts. Every single one person in this room. But also everyone out there. That they all count. And when Jesus gathered his 12 disciples, we've been talking about them. They're all so different. And he would have known about Judas. Even Judas, he said, come to my table. And he knew he was going to, you know, put him to, uh, to, the, um, to Pontius Pilate. But he still said everyone counts. He knew he was going to betray him. But the gospel is open for everyone. And we get this time where we take the bread and the wine. And we think about what Jesus has done for us in our life. By dying on that cross, he cancelled out the penalty of sin, our shame, our mistakes, our guilt. I just want you to take a few moments to reflect on your last few weeks. Serious moments. What, 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 what have I done wrong? I got angry with that person. The Bible says it's good to come to God and ask for forgiveness. We believe in grace. We believe in the power of freedom of life and forgiveness and new starts and new life. However, we're called to come and know that Jesus is our Savior. Let's just take a few minutes and just reflect on the last few weeks. And you might want to say in front of God, I'm sorry I got angry at that person. I'm sorry I didn't make that person count. I, I should have seen those through your eyes.
Father God, I'm sorry for the things that I personally have done wrong this, this last couple of weeks. <coughs> I'm sorry for the things that I should have done when I, shouldn't, uh, when I didn't do them and the things I did when I shouldn't have done them. I'm sorry for the times I haven't put you first in my life, in my actions, in my thoughts, in my words, in my desires. I'm sorry, God, where I haven't put you first. And I thank you, God, that you are a God that is a loving Father. Open these arms and say, come. I thank you that you give us these symbols to remind us that you died for us, that your body was broken for us and your blood was poured out for us. And as we take this time 2,000 years later, we know that this was a, a momentous moment in history that changed our lives forever, that these three days would change everything. And now we can become followers. If I could ask a few people to come and help me serve As he took the bread, Jesus took the bread and he, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. I don't know if you've ever seen a movie like Passion for Christ or a, a movie like that. And you watch these movies and you realize of how much Jesus went through. The punishment, the capital punishment, the death penalty that he went upon. You know, we sometimes forget that he died for us. He went through actual pain so that we could have life. I thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for each one of us. And as we break bread, we remember the sacrifice you made for us. We remember that you went before us. You went to that cross so that I could be forgiven, so I could be, have life to its fullness. And I thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Amen. At the same table, he, he took the cup and he, he poured out the wine. He said, this, is my, this represents my blood being poured out for you. As you hang on that cross, the blood from the nails uh, to each hand and then to his, to his feet, pinned to the wooden, to the, the cross. Just pouring out. And it was to represent that there was a, a sacrifice, which would be the sacrifice of animals before. But now I was going to be the perfect blood sacrifice. I was going to be the final sacrifice. And actually, when you come into me, there's no need for any more sacrifices. But in me, you have freedom. And I thank you, Jesus. In you, we have freedom. We drink this cup, which uh, one of the things it represents is freedom and life. And I pray that we will be people of freedom and life.
because of what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hello, time's uh, getting on. Uh, I just want to leave us with this in response. I just want to really encourage you that God values you. And that's where it starts. You know God loves you and God values you. He looks upon you and delights in you. And at the same time, he values your next door neighbor. He values the person in your workplace. And actually, we should see people more significant than ourselves. And if we go and do that, we become world changers. We become people that change people's lives through the things we say and do. So this week, this week, I encourage you and challenge you, look out for people that you can see, uh, you can have the opportunity to see more significant than yourself. The Nicodemuses and also the woman at the well. The person who's like-minded to you and the person who's a world away from you. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you this morning. I thank you that, you that you are here with us and you go forth with us. And I pray, Father God, um, well, I thank you that you value each one of us. I thank you, Father, that we can know our identity in Jesus Christ and we can be sure of this. And we can stand with our heads high and our shoulders back because we know we're loved by God. And I thank you, God, that you love every single person. I pray every single person we encounter this week, we would love them and we would say, you're more significant than myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Uh, do grab a drink of tea and coffee and um, look forward to seeing you at the prayer meeting on Tuesday. Do pray.